Thanks for tuning in to Real Original. My name I'm is Sarah. Dave. And I'm Andy. And today we're going to be talking about The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the Netflix original directed by the Coen brothers, known for also directing True Grit and No Country for Old Men, amongst other movies. The Ballad of Buster Scruggs is a collection of six different shorts based on the Old West. All of pretty much wildly different themes and ideas, and that's what we're going to be discussing here today. And we're probably going to be spoiling every story in here while we discuss. How did you guys feel about the first of the short stories, the one, the titular story, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs? I'll, I'll jump on that real quick if I can. Yeah, so ahead, even though in the opening scene, they were flipping through that book and it said and other titles, I seriously thought that the whole movie was going to be about that guy. So um, I was like, wow, this is progressing super fast. And then and then the short story ended and I was like, <laughs> just so taken aback. <laughs> I was like, uh, uh what? <laughs> yeah, I didn't really know what this movie was. And so super spoiler uh the first of this is only 17 minutes long the first story the ballad of buster scruggs and at the end of it buster scruggs gets shot and he dies and so i'm sure you had the same feeling and emotion sarah where you were like what the hell am i watching yeah yeah but other than that um i thought it was like one of the more fun stories just because he was singing they were kind of a beat he was a badass in the bar or the saloon um, compared to the other stories, which I didn't know at the time, which were going to get progressively darker and um, much more stark compared to that. Um, yeah, I thought it was a fun, entertaining story for sure. Andy, did you have a favorite scene from this short, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs? Uh, yeah, uh, well, so uh, I along the same lines as Sarah, um, I went into this movie not really knowing much other than the fact that it was a Coen Brothers movie. Um, so I had some idea of what it could be. Um, I'm a big fan of Ethan and Joel Coen. So I had an idea, but I didn't realize the entire movie wasn't about Buster Scruggs in, in some way. So the fact that it was done so so short, um, I didn't know where it was going. Maybe it would be like, oh, we're going to tell the story of his past and how he got here, Tarantino style. Um, and so when it just moved on and it was, it, it was six different individual stories all about the West, I was, I was taken aback. Um, I, I do think, funny enough, that of the six, uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs was the weakest one. But I thoroughly... No yeah, kidding. Personally, um, I think Tim Blake Nelson is fantastic, and I'm a fan of it. But I, I didn't think it had as much of like a, a deeper background story as some of the other ones. If that makes any sense. Tim Blake Nelson being the one that plays Buster Scruggs in the yeah, short. Very much, and it, I, I think it was probably if I would go back and watch it a second time. Um, I would have a different take on it because there are so many people that you recognize that that um, you don't realize it's just such a small part isn't going to be bigger than what it is and has its own little adventure in the small little part itself as far as like um, Clancy Brown playing Curly Joe and having such a small, small part. Clancy Brown. Yeah, 
<laughs> I love Clancy Brown as well. And and so just having like such a small part and then being completely done with the story, um, I think it might have just been like expecting it to be more. And then when I was done, having an understanding that, oh, it's just a, a short story and now to the next one. And so like I was more invested or, or trying to follow the story, the second story, third story, more. Yeah, have either of you seen the Stephen King Creepshow movies? Nope, not me. No. So Creepshow is a movie that I watch pretty much every um, every Halloween season, every October. And it's very similar to The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. It's just a collection of short stories written by Stephen King and, and sometimes starring Stephen King. Um, but they have a lot more, at least it feels more cohesive than The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. To me... And when I say the Ballad of Buster Scruggs in this situation, I mean the whole movie, not the opening short. Oh, God, that's going to get confusing. Anywho, the Creepshow movies, they feel like they have a cohesive narrative bringing them together. They are separate stories, but they feel like they complement each other well. Whereas the movie Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I felt like all of these were kind of separate and there wasn't really a connective tissue Um they didn't tie together real well. They were, they were all just old West stories. That was like the only thing that tied them together. I thought, did, did you guys find any connecting tissue? No, here? I, I think that that's really what it was. And I actually enjoyed that little bit of it. Um, I, I had said to Sarah, it very much reminds me of um, the black mirror in the sense that they all are their own individual stories. their their own misadventures um, they aren't connected really in any way other than the fact that they are of the same cloth, if you will. Um, but the one thing tying them together is very thin. Um, not to mention the other aspect of it being that a lot of them were really just dark and morbid. Oh Yeah, yeah we'll for sure. <laughs> like, I haven't um, seen very many Westerns. That's not a style of movie that I have any experience with really other than maybe seeing my grandpa watch one like in passing but i so coming into this movie andy read the description off of netflix or rotten tomatoes or something to me and said something like it's a comedy musical western and i'm like all right i'm down and then you know we started getting into some of these stories and i'm like wow okay like they're western but this is pretty dark like this is like the Brothers Grimm of fairy tales meets Western or something. It was just um, definitely not what I was expecting. Yeah, they're not very uplifting. But then again, I think that's part of the goal of the storytellers here is in exploring stories of the West. I think part of what they were communicating was this wasn't all glamour. It wasn't as clean as Hollywood makes it look. People didn't live into their 50s. Um, you know, sad things oh, like yeah, that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Message received. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually one of the things I very much liked about this movie, um, just as a whole, is that it wasn't... Traditionally, you see Westerns, and it's outlaws versus the sheriff or something like that. Good guy versus bad guy. And bad guy always loses and whatever. It's very structured. Whereas these bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people all throughout the entirety of the, the stories. And so it was very, it was more real 
in that sense that it wasn't just like oh well obviously the sad girl is gonna get the man in the end it's Mm -hmm. yeah if there's one thing that i could change about the short the ballad of buster scruggs it would be the story opens with buster singing on a horse and and walking into the frame and he's singing a jaunty tune and then he turns to the camera and he starts talking directly to the camera and, and showing off wanted posters with his face on it and a description of him and then in the scene after he goes to a poker match at a bar and he orders some whiskey and he ends up shooting everybody in the room if i could change one thing about the entire short i would just flip those two scenes i think it would be much more interesting to have him come in as kind of a stereotypical cowboy you know make some jokes at the bar shoot everybody dead and then leave and then all of a sudden start singing and then start mugging to the camera letting you know hey this isn't a stereotypical western shooter movie what do you guys think about that i think i was still quite surprised um that he went from his jolly singing on his horse with his guitar singing about water you know a very very desert song like because they don't have water and then I'm like, oh, okay, he's going into this bar. He's going to, I mean, I don't know. Don't watch Westerns, but he's going to go into this bar and might get into like a little skirmish or something. But I certainly didn't think, yep, everyone in this bar is going to die. <laughs> I actually very uh, enjoyed it. Um, I think it, it did set a really good precedence where um, quickly we figured out that Buster just thinks he's a... Uh, the good guy and and that he's happy-go-lucky and and we want to cheer him on and and I don't know he's kind of like a bard if you will that's yeah definitely like he all the portrayals that we see of him and the wanted poster is like I don't like dislike men I actually like people a lot and then all of a sudden you realize that everybody that he encounters he kills and he's not a great person, but he still just comes off as this dressed in white good guy. So I, that's why I really liked the opening scene where it just, oh, here's this dopey old singing cowboy. And then all <laughs> of a sudden he turns out to be the quickest hand in the West and, and the most notorious gunslinger. Sarah, I know you said you haven't seen a lot of Westerns in your time, but there was a funny trope in this this short that's in literally every Western movie ever made. And that's when a, a piano player's playing the rinky dink song, probably the only song he knows. And when somebody draws a gun in the bar, he, he stops and the bar goes silent. That scene is in every Western. It's, it's just such a stereotype. And I was, I was really glad to see it in this short, which is kind of a lighthearted, fun short. It made me Oh, laugh. that's fun. Um, I did. I mean, it the, that was the most musical of the shorts, the first one. So, um, oh, I see. I was Thank kind God. of looking forward to more of that, but um, the other stories it would have been much more challenging, I think, for them to work that in, considering like the plots of the other stories were just had a much different tone. Definitely, yeah, that would have been tonally jarring. Speaking of songs in the short. The exit song where they're singing about cowboys trading their spurs for wings. Did anybody get a John Denver oh, vibe from that song? I was sitting there thinking, like, is this a real song? I feel like this is a real song. Maybe I've heard this song before. And then, I, I don't know, then it was over and I was like, well, got to move on to the next story because 
I guess this whole thing's not about Buster Scruggs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the shooter that kills Buster Scruggs. Uh, I was just I just kept thinking that he sounded like John John Denver. He sounds exactly <laughs> like him. It freaked me out a little bit. I also realized that I don't understand this is gonna be a little bit embarrassing here, so feel free to laugh. I don't understand the design of spurs on cowboy boots. I understand their function. It's essentially to hurt the horse to make it <laughs> dr- drive faster. <laughs> it's not the right phrase. But um yes, thank you. But why are they like circles? Why are they wheels? Why do they have to spin? Why can't they just be little like jabbers? Like little sp- they're designed so that they don't hurt the horse, actually. So that like if you were to to heal back and and essentially kick the horse um, with the spur, it's not gonna stay put and dig in. It's gonna roll off of it. So that it, it's more like a, a little prick instead of a staff. Okay, so you, so the goal is to hurt the horse. It's to but like not touch the it, horse. Not like it's like yeah, to it's poke like it. To, yeah, it's to, okay. to scare it along. Okay, that makes more sense. That's <laughs> I've achieved some enlightenment. Do you guys have anything to add to the short The Ballad of Buster Scruggs? No, it sounds harsh, but I think what Andy said before no. about that being almost like the least impressive one, I guess. I don't know. I just, I didn't take as much from that story. It was lighthearted and fun mostly and even though he he died in the end like the story itself was still a pretty upbeat story whereas the other ones even when the ending was what some could argue happy or good um the story itself was still like a hard journey if you will (laughs) so yeah once that one was over it's almost like that one had a completely different life than the whole rest of the movie yeah definitely did so just to to touch on one other thing that we were talking about as far as like sounding like john denver the the kid that the one that killed the buster scruggs he's actually is a a musician he's a folk singer um but he he was in a band um oh uh it was like a 90s rock band um yeah i'm drawing a blank i mean but but he now he does uh his name is Willie Watson and he does folk music. So it's very much similar sound as, as like John Denver. <laughs> you sure he doesn't have a chocolate factory yeah. somewhere? Oh, Willie Watson in the, <laughs> in the Western factory. chocolate factory. <laughs> Do you guys want to sing Curly Joe? We before should spare we to the, the audience with that. Me. Okay. <laughs> uh, see jokes on you, Sarah, this show doesn't have an audience, <laughs> but that's fair. The next short, and this was hands down easily the weakest of the bunch for me was called, and I might be butchering it near Algedones near Algedones is a story about a bank robber who the bank robbery goes airy and he gets caught by the sheriffs and he gets hung up. (laughs) It's a mess Uh, while he's being hung up. (laughs) Some native Americans come and attack the sheriff and his posse and kill them. And then he gets picked up by a cattle rustler who gets caught. He gets hanged up again, and he actually gets killed the second time. This one sucked. Oh, see, I did not I like think this you, one. At you missed all. out on the little humorous pieces in it, and that might have just saved it for you. Like when the old man was running out and kept yelling, ha ha, pan shot. Like he was just so proud of himself. And I don't know, maybe it's because it was like a cute old man. Did he say pan yeah. shot? Yeah, I, I liked it because it was a, it, it changed it was a completely different tone from Buster Scruggs. You go from this like singing outlaw shootout and he's dead real quick to this like 
Abbott and Costello routine. It was it was very <laughs> it was very humorous, and it was it was short. It wasn't drawn out, um, and it did what it needed to. It wasn't very long, and so that's kind of why I enjoyed it. Now I did have problems with it, but I enjoyed it for what it was. <laughs> yeah, it was the shortest of the bunch, thankfully. Uh, James Franco played the bank robber. And the bank teller was played by Stephen. Yeah. You guys might remember from Milton uh, or as Milton from the office, yep. office space. I believe you have my deeply. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like they somehow got him to <laughs> sign on to the movie. And then they were like, what can we do with this guy? What Western character could he play? Bank teller. Let's <laughs> That's put a story interesting, around Cause that. I remember thinking, um, actually it would have been really great if they had made this like a woman character. Cause like the whole rest of them, like don't have any female characters really, except for a couple. And they're not like main players except for one story. And then they're like, not particularly, um, strong women. And like, I know that most of the time and like, just in culture in that time um you know women weren't like running things per se but um i think the idea of like a strong-willed bank teller woman like who was like you know what no you're not gonna rob me today i'm gonna take you out like that would have been feasible enough you know who would have been fun the lady in the last oh yeah i ended up getting like instead a really bad like impression of her and i didn't particularly like her in the end but you're right if i if she had been a different role yeah i think it would have gone a lot better like a sassy bank teller yeah that could have been real fun um and you're totally right about female representation in the movie um the misrepresentation that caught my eye more was the native americans every single native american in this movie was just like a axe wielding murderer trying to to kill the main characters and i was like oh man we don't yeah need, well many of them had guns more too of these movies. and i don't know my history well enough to know like what's accurate and what's not but i was just like so terrified of all the the fighting scenes like i almost didn't want to watch they just it was just i don't know why i wasn't expecting them because it's a western but i was like oh wow they're like running up and they're shooting everyone and everyone's dying and like <laughs> i just had like a mini attack like panic attack and i was like oh my gosh but i should have been you know expecting some battle scenes in a western movie <laughs> well and you're, the guns in this movie really do pop loud no but i mean they're not quiet guns at all you would expect that i just didn't i just was for some reason having a brain lag where <laughs> yeah i definitely did <laughs> i think it's because i was so stuck on that initial description even like once we were into the movie I still, my brain was like on the page of, this is a comedy musical Western. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get any music from Near Al Jadones, but we did get some comedy, especially in the line where uh, the second time <laughs> James Franco's character was being hung up, he looked at a guy. Oh my gosh, I loved it so much. It was so time. cheesy and corny, and I ate it right up. Yeah, I laughed too. That was the only part of the short I enjoyed, though. I really didn't like this one. I'm glad you guys did. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for being the comedy. Um, like I said, I, I did have problems with it, and it was probably more like continuation problems than anything else. Like when the cowboy played by James Franco was first being hung, and the horse kept running, getting farther and farther away from the tree, and somehow the rope just kept stretching to the point that if he were just got <laughs> off the horse, he would have been standing there. But yeah, <laughs> but I mean, as a whole, it was it was real quick, and it was it was funny. Like, 
he played a bank robber and got away and still ended up dying for the dumbest reason. Moving on to the next short uh, called Meal Ticket. I like this one a lot more than near Al Shadown's. Meal Ticket is basically where the longer episodes start. They start to pick up. Uh, this one was about 20 minutes, and it has Liam Neeson as one of the main characters. I, I did was. not expect to see Liam Neeson in this movie. Were you guys shocked to see that? It's like, what's this Irish guy doing in the Old West movie? Like, obviously, there were Irish people in the West, but uh, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting big names like Liam Neeson. He was definitely like the first big star that I saw in the movie. Like, James <laughs> Franco was in it, of course, but he's kind of a scrub. He's just not in good movies. Liam Neeson is in good movies. Yeah, see, I, I kind of actually, I recognized a lot of previous actors, so it wasn't very shocking that he was in it. Um, I think he did a really good job, and and all the different prosthetics that he was wearing made him not look like, oh, well, there's that guy from Taken driving around with uh, another guy. But uh, I wasn't surprised. Most of the guys. But, yeah, I was more surprised of, of the the performer um and that it took me about halfway through to realize who who that kid was who was he i didn't recognize well you wouldn't because you're not a big fan but it's um it was i'm drawing a blank on his name harry potter uh dursley oh wow dursley yeah dudley dursley harry potter's cousin the short fat one that that beat him up and the spoiled one so that yeah, it took me a little while to to recognize who it was, and he looks nothing like what he did when he was a little kid playing that character in the Harry Potter movies. Um, but yeah, that one surprised me more than anything else. Very nice. So this short uh, meal ticket, Liam Neeson plays a traveling businessman essentially who travels from town to town and puts on shows. He's not the performer. Um, this Dudley Dursley guy is actually the performer and he's a man with no legs, no arms. And he basically makes speeches in front of audiences. And then Liam Neeson asks for tips. And that's the bulk of the story of this one. And the thing that got me hung no, up, I've have either of you seen the it. show Venture Brothers? No, I I've heard of it. I've just never okay. actually watched it. That's fair. There's a character in Venture Brothers called Dr. Orpheus. And he always speaks dramatically and he raises his hand and like he's yelling to the cosmos. And this actor with, with no arms and no legs sounded exactly like him. And it, I just laughed my way through it the whole time. But um, I thought all the speeches were, were really boring. Oh, I actually really scenes. loved those. And what I think, think part those, of it Sarah? was like me trying to pick out what historical references there were and literary references there were. Um, but I actually really enjoyed hearing him speak, um, overall, like this story was probably the most depressing one for me to watch. Like when that ended, I was like, oh my God, this is the rest of the movies, this dark, like, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And then Dave's going to be so upset that I can't do this podcast. Um, so the ending is, um, I guess after they show you many scenes of him giving this speech, so they make it clear that he does this like night after night, town after town, and they make very little money at it, but that he gets like taken care of literally the bare minimum, like fed and sort of 
housed in the back of this like wagon, I guess, um, by the, the Liam Neeson character. And so there's like a minimum amount of care, but then one night they're in a town with another, um, like, what would you call them? Just like entertainment acts? Yeah, and so this other traveling entertainment the traveling cart, entertainment they cart. have a chicken that guesses the number. Oh, it was math. And so the, the owner of the cart would yell out or get, actually, he would get suggestions from the crowd. And so they would yell out a math problem, like a simple addition or subtraction. And the chicken would like peck a thing, a marker with the number on it and so it was like the amazing genius chicken or something and the the guy saw that and spent he suddenly had this like wad of cash which i was like what the heck like you're making three coins a day how do you have this giant wad of money suddenly but he spent like what seemed to be mostly all of their money on this chicken he bought the chicken and the brought it with him and then they're like just driving up this road he stops at a bridge and looks over and there's a river and he throws this big rock into it. And you're like, what the heck is he doing? And then he like walks over to the the wagon where the speaker performer is sitting on the back of the wagon as he always does. And the Liam Neeson character walks over and he puts his hands behind his back all suspicious like. And you're like, wow, can you even be any more obvious? And he just like comes menacingly yeah, he comes menacingly at the boy. Yeah, and he puts well, he's on like a, a really goofy he's, grin. He's a young man, at least. But, um, and then they just kind of cut to a scene of him um, driving away. The boy is no longer there. And then um, the chicken is still there. And so you have this image of him just like tossing this man into a river, which is barely deep enough to drown somebody with arms and legs for sure. But definitely deep enough to drown that poor man. Um, and you, you have to imagine it because they don't even show it. So that's almost worse because at least for me, my imagination just takes like the worst route possible, you know, as fast as possible. So <laughs> that was like a really harsh ending because I think the repetitive scenes of like how many times he has to give that speech and it's always freezing cold and there's snow and, they make no money and he eats the scraps of the other guy's food. And like, it just is a harsh thing. And then the guy just like, I don't know. At first you think, Oh, maybe they're like yeah, brothers or, or cousins or there's some sort of caring. And then like, you kind of go through the story and you're like, Oh no, he actually doesn't give a shit about him at all. He's like doing the bare minimum to keep him alive to like make his money. And then he literally disposes of him just like because he got a chicken. Uh, this one, this one messed me up the most as far as like all the stories. Um, before talking about it, one of my favorite jokes is what do you call a guy with no arms, no legs, and a swimming pool? Bob. Anyway, uh, <laughs> things to get cut. Um, as a whole it really bummed me out like watching it you you have these traveling artists trying to make ends meet begging for change and you see it slowly getting less and less making money off of this guy and and i enjoyed the 
the performances. They had um, one was Ozymandias, Mandius, whatever. I forget what that is. Yeah, Ozymandias, Ozymandias, um, Genesis, yeah, Shakespeare, Cain and Abel, the uh, Genesis story, um, the sonnets, uh, twenty nine and thirty of Shakespeare, and then the Gettysburg Address. And each night you show this like passion and, and the only way this guy can make money. And, and the entire time I'm thinking, oh, this has to be like his son or his brother or something. And this is he's forced to do this. And this is the only way he can make money. And he's helping him. I, I don't know, use the facilities and feeding him every night and carry him around and then when it gets to the end and it's just implied what happens and you realize, Oh no, he didn't care for him at all. He was just trying to make a buck. Um, that one really, it really messed me up. And as I'd said earlier, um, it, it, as a whole, each individual story, it reminded me of black mirror and the implied darkness. And that's, that's the one where the first one where it started, where I'm like, wow, there's a lot of similarities in some of these stories that, you just realize how evil people can be in different situations. Not when their hands forced to be evil, just when it makes it slightly better for them. Yeah, I definitely went through that as well. One of the things that I really enjoyed about this story and, and what you were talking about, Andy, is that at first I thought he was like a, a caretaker, like you were saying. And I thought he was kind of doing this man a favor, this man that couldn't earn a living pretty much any other way besides oration and storytelling. And as the story went on, it got more and more clear that he, Liam Neeson's character was just a businessman trying to get a buck and probably exploiting the, the actor. One of the things that I thought was interesting though, along with all of that was that the first time the actor started his speech, I was really interested in it and kind of having fun and going along for the ride. And the filmmakers did a wonderful job for me getting bored with the actual audience in the movie, the way they kept repeating lines and repeating angles and, and just kind of showing the boredom of the audience. I felt myself getting bored and frustrated with the performance as well. So it was almost like as the, the tips that were presented on the screen, as they declined, my interest in the storytelling declined as well. I was like, okay, I, where's this going? Come yeah, on, I was very scene. much thinking the same thing, that, the, that just the different angles that they were using for the camera just looked like a sadder performance. And then the fact that you just you could physically count the number of, of audience members and just people getting up in the middle of it. And then you realize, Oh, it's getting a little preachy and it's just the same old, doesn't have the same enthusiasm. And it, it very much, you could start to empathize with the, with the with the caretaker and that this is a hard life and it's not all like, Oh, new town every night and you make a good living and, and it's a interesting life. It's, a struggle. I want that chicken though. I would pay to see that show. Yeah, I guess the, the chicken was impressive. Yeah. I remember thinking like, wow, how did they do that? But then when I found out what the chicken meant for the other guy, I was kind of like, uh-uh, chicken, you got to go. Oh, well, as somebody who plays way too much Stardew Valley, I am basically a chicken connoisseur <laughs> and he made a wise investment. He made a wise business choice. Oh, that's great. Moving on to my favorite story of the bunch, the one I loved the most. Next up was All Gold Canyon, and oh, this story would... was 
all gold. Yeah. That is probably my favorite story too. Assuming ahead, this is this is the older gentleman panning for gold. The prospector. Yeah. Yeah, I love a good story about a prospector, <laughs> especially a prospector that wears a stereotypical prospector hat. Um, I feel like it would offend me if if they wore any other sort of hat. Like if you get a prospector wearing a cowboy hat or a top hat, that's just not right. I enjoyed more the, the fact that the prospector was Tom Waits. <laughs> I know. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> I enjoyed that so much. I was like, it took me a minute because I'm like, that voice sounds so familiar. That voice sounds so familiar. And yeah, I definitely didn't catch it at first. I'm like, who is that? Who is that? It took me halfway through the, the short to realize that it was Tom Waits. And once you realize it, you realize it, it couldn't I be know. anybody else. It's so great. Where are you, Mr. Pocket? <laughs> so the story of All Gold Canyon, a quick rundown. A prospector kind of wanders into a, a beautiful, beautiful valley. And he seems to think that there might be gold there. So he starts panning for gold. And eventually he finds a gold pocket. He starts to unearth it and put it into his bags and such. And then somebody tries to steal it from him. It doesn't go well for the robber. Uh, one of the cool parts was a, the robber comes up from behind him. So he's down in a hole digging for the gold. And the robber comes up at the top of the hole. And it's like a 15-second wait, I feel like, before you see what's going to happen. But after a very long pause, he reaches for his axe. And then the guy at the top of the hole shoots him right in the back. This was just such a great scene. Andy, talk about what happens next. A lot of it had to do with facial expression, the acting, the fact that the prospector was shot in the back. Um, and we thought he was dead. We waited and waited and waited along with the guy that shot him. He lit a cigarette. He made sure that the guy was dead, essentially. We watched as the mm -hmm. shirt became more saturated with blood. And once he knew that the guy wasn't moving, he jumped down to the side. All right, now I can get the gold that I've been waiting for this guy to dig up for so long. And right as he jumps down, the prospector turns around and attacks him with the hammer that he, he used to, to dig out the gold. He still somehow lived. And he fought he, tooth and nail to, to stay alive. And, he killed the guy, took his weapon from him, and shot him. Yeah, you and shot him, and shot him a whole bunch of times to make sure that uh, he didn't make the same mistake that the the robber had done. Yeah, during the long pause where the robber lit a cigarette and was just kind of hanging out, I thought for sure there was going to be a third robber that comes to kill him. Oh yeah, I uh, definitely that's what thought, I thought the was going to happen. I thought dead. the prospector was dead. I was really happy when he got back <laughs> up and, and fought off the robber, though. Uh, and he called him a skunk like like 30 times. It was really funny for me. Um, and then the, the prospector, after he gets out of the hole, he like runs to the stream. Didn't hit nothing important. Screaming, like, you didn't hit nothing but guts. I'm alive. <laughs> <laughs> like it's such a crazy thing. Yeah. Like most of the short is just Tom Waits screaming at a robber or screaming at a pocket of gold. And it's just so thoroughly entertaining. My favorite me. part of this one was the actual callback to the previous segment, the meal ticket one um, with the chicken. And when he saw the bird nest and he went up and he was going to steal all the eggs and realized that the owl was watching him and he, he took just one and he said to himself, how high can a bird count? 
which is kind of like a callback from the last <laughs> one where it had the chicken that could count to how 24 or do math. That was one of my favorite parts about that. Yeah, that was kind of a wink to the audience moment that I enjoyed as well. I also remember, and I don't remember the full story, but the match box that the robber uses to light his match, I believe it's a callback to the Buster Scruggs story. It, it's some kind of callback to one of the bars or saloons that's in the town. But I one of the what things that we see a lot with the Coen brothers is that they like to reference their other movies pretty often. Um, so there are multiple times throughout this one. Um, I can't come, I, I can't remember it right off the top of my head, but a lot of it was referenced to, to True Grit, which they redid. Um, oh, yeah, very well, uh, by the True way. Grit it's a great is one movie. Of my favorites. Um, so there were, there were different little nods to it here and there, um, especially one of the last ones, um, the, the actual last story in, in the movie. Um, there was a reference to True Grit in that one too, and I just enjoyed that as, as a whole. So that's just one of their signatures is that they like to reference other parts of their movies with themselves or just other movies of theirs. They're a fantastic combo of directors and screenwriters. I, yeah, they're just wonderful. So this was my favorite short out of all of them. Easily, it was it was the front runner, but I. I couldn't help but notice that the CGI in this one was yeah. terrible. The deer. Yeah. Like, you noticed that as well, like, Andy? I, I got the idea that they wanted to show how large and vast and beautiful the, the West was and undiscovered. But then adding in the digital deer or animal just took away from it. Um, I I liked either, either direction where you go from um, – Buster Scruggs, where it's just like a, a backdrop or with a, a saloon or the um, the bank robber one where it's just like a there's nothing. It's very generic backdrop. And the only thing focal point is the small building or this vastness of all these mountains and beautiful big sky country or. But then you add. It just it took me away from the story very much seeing a poorly done digital deer. Yeah, they they clearly animated the deer and its shadow, and I didn't even believe the shadow was there. I thought the shadow looked flat. Yeah, I, I couldn't figure out if it was they were trying to add something or they're just like, hey, we need something else here to have the story go along. Um, I, I just found it completely unnecessary. It felt a little heavy handed, almost like a message about the human's impact on earth or, or something similar to the environment where like, this was a very peaceful stream. It showed fish, it showed the owl and the deer. And then a human came and, and all the nature, all the animals yeah. just kind of like scattered and left. And, and then the human starts eating the animals yeah. and killing the fish, kill, stealing the eggs. And then once the short was over and the, the human left, all the nature kind of came back in. It was kind of heavy. Yeah. Heavy I mean, I rather. think it added a little too um, much that that wasn't, needed to have a good story it, it very much reminded me of another movie um scorsese's the departed which i found is one of my favorite movies of all time Ugh. um but at the end of it there's a a rat that runs on the the railing of the movie and that's what the whole movie's about is just these cops and rats and and mob and blah 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 and it's just digitally added in after the fact and it just takes away from everything that was in the movie just takes 
completely takes me out of it. Yeah, that was definitely at a time where CGI wasn't really good enough to be to be mixed. That's interesting that you guys take movies. on the environmental uh, twist there. I guess um, I totally didn't interpret it that way, but also at the end in the closing scene when they are, you know, at the end of every one of these shorts, they go back to that book where they're like turning the page, and it's not slow enough that you can actually read the whole text that's on that page. But I did catch a couple of the lines. Mm -hmm. And at the end of this one in particular was actually kind of, I read it as more of a nicer line where it was like, and then the prospector left and all of nature returned to its original state. Kind of like painting him as like not a bad guy because yeah, he came and dug his holes and did his thing or whatever, but then he left and like everything healed itself and it was all fine. You know what I mean? Not like, I don't know. I didn't take it as like, oh, humans are bad and he ate the fish and he stole an egg and he dug a bunch of holes. Just as like that he did it in a small scale way and so it was able to heal versus doing it in some kind of like major irreparable kind of way. Yeah, I can see how you would get that takeaway. It was definitely Yeah, I mean, more it was nice to see optimistically cuz I guess you shorts, didn't really touch on it so. in your summary of the the short itself, but Actually, most of the short was his amount of work that went into digging all these holes and like his strategy and finding exactly where the pocket was going to be. And um, I, for one, did not have that kind of image of panning for gold in my head. And I'm just bad at history, so that's on me. But I was like blown away by his strategy. Uh, so I thought that they had um, like a sieve. The pan w didn't have holes in it. And that I, so I thought they were like using a sieve to find like the solid pieces and the water would go through, you know, so that would be a lot easier and faster. Um, but then also like, I was just blown away by his strategy of like finding, you know, he found where there was none and then he went one way and built it up until it had, I don't know what it was like six pieces. And then he kept going until it had zero pieces. And then he made like a triangle and was like, yep, the pocket's going to be right there. And then he dug there and there was a giant pocket of gold. So it was really satisfying in the end whenever he rides away or doesn't even ride away. He's still walking, <laughs> but his donkey's carrying all the nuggets of gold in the in the sacks. And it's great. And you're like, yeah, man, he just works so hard for that. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's actually what adds to that story I almost is that he works so hard. And then when he finally strikes gold... Um, he has it all taken away from him with some guy that just happened to be there watching and, and he robbed him after the, all the hard work because we know that he spent days upon days and used a very primitive but somewhat scientific method to figure out where this was and it was all just for naught. So I think that added to the suspense. Yeah, at one point he yelled, I'm old but not as old as you, Mr. Pocket. Yeah, I love that line yeah. so much. I swear I've never seen him in a movie. I've heard his songs in movies before. Yeah, I've seen him before. Um, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank as far as which one. Um, I mean, I, I know I've seen him as a, That's an fair. actor before. I think the only movie that I can even think of that has one of his songs in it is Shrek. Oh, you know what uh, he was in that I remember now? Um, uh, Book of Eli. He was Denzel in that? The Washington. one with... Uh post-apocalyptic yeah with yeah. Uh, Gary Oldman. 
yeah, he was the engineer that that recharged his battery that. pack. Wow. If I liked that movie, I would probably want to rewatch it right now. Yeah. But I remember it's thinking on Amazon it was Prime. stupid. <laughs> Oh, geez. I've got so many movies I have to watch in the next few days. So I'll probably pass on that one. Unless it has Clancy Brown in it. I'm such a sucker for Clancy Brown, and I was so happy to see him in the Might have. Short. He's been in he's in everything. He really is. He pops up in like every at least everything that's vaguely sci-fi. He's he's in it if it's sci-fi <laughs> or fictional in any capacity. Well, I think we've said all we can say about all Gold Canyon. Moving on to what I thought was the most depressing of all the shorts. The gal who got rattled. This was, I believe, the longest of all the shorts in the movie. And they really spent a lot of time setting up the main characters just with the goal of hurting the audience, I felt like. Would either of you care to discuss what happened in this short? I'm not sure I can take it. So just a quick synopsis of the short. Um, It was this brother and sister that were traveling out to Oregon on the Oregon Trail. Um, in a caravan of wagons um, to have the sister married off in a business venture for the brother Um, midway through the voyage her brother died cholera i don't know cholera i have it's been a long time since i played uh organ dysentery cholera all right well, they said uh, it was cholera in sense. the movie, so cholera doesn't make that's you cough. just all I'm going by. Oh, <laughs> uh, this one did. All right, all right fair enough. Um, so he died midway through the trip. Um, we start to find out that the brother really wasn't that great of a businessman. He made poor decisions. Um, he promised an extravagant amount of money to the boy that was running the their carriage for them. Um there were a lot of promises that this girl had no future or, or no ability to fulfill. Um, and so the entire time she doesn't know what's going to happen. She really doesn't know. She has no way to go home. There's no home for her. Um, she can't just be stranded. And uh, the cabin coach or the, one of the leaders of, of the, the envoy um, decided that he was given up that he was done with this this life and that he wanted to settle down and he decided to ask this girl um to marry to when they get to Oregon to be a couple and he'll help her pay the debts and then he can settle down and and the entire time he's just reevaluating his life because he sees his partner who's an old man who is very knowledgeable in what he does, but he's very lonely and he doesn't want to be that person. So he decides to ask this girl for a hand of marriage and she agrees. And, and, uh, all while at one point she wanders off, um, and gets caught in a precarious situation. Um, and this old, older guy Mm -hmm. that is there to protect the crew. Um, the one that, this younger man doesn't want to be like goes out and he finds her and he starts to escort her back. And, and all of a sudden they're ambushed by a group of native Americans that they just want nothing more than to kill them. Um, so this old well-worn practice cowboy 
um, does what he can to protect this girl so that they can get back to the envoy and get to Oregon where they want to go. And they're just outgunned and out, out man, but somehow they survived the first wave. He gives a gun to this girl and asks her if I'm done, or if I tell you there's no hope, I want you to kill me and kill yourself that there, it's not going to be good for either of us if we, if we get captured alive and, and he survives the first wave and then they come back for the second wave with better recon and, and more prepared and he survives the second wave and then he thinks that they've made it through and um, we watch as he gets killed, essentially. We think, we, we think he gets killed by a lone Native American um, and yeah, we find out attack. that he actually made it through and that he lived and that they triumphed, that they can get back and, and make it to Oregon. And then when he goes and finds the girl, we find out that she thought he died just like we did as the audience and killed herself. Well, no, the, then he so has to go back to the young man. Like that's, that's the, the worst of it is dark. then he's walking back to uh, her would be husband her fiance and they don't show the conversation the last line and that when they turn the page in that book is that and he had no idea what he would say to uh i don't know what his name was cowboy yeah cowboy billy and it's just you know because he, he knows he's gonna yeah. have to oh, go back and tell him what happened billy. but i don't yeah it's heavy i mean I think it's a lot sadder that she died. I think because the weight might be on died. him on like giving her that gun. Like to me, as, as soon as he did that, I was like, why would you hand somebody with absolutely no experience and no, to me, him like handing her that I'm not saying he shouldn't have for sure. I mean, I don't know about cowboy life, but to be like, okay, you've never, ever done this before. You've probably never even been this close to a gun, let alone held one. Um, but if I'm going to die and you're going to die, you should just kill us both. Here's the gun. And so I'm sure that it was weighing heavy on his mind that if he hadn't done that, maybe she would still be alive. If he had just said, don't worry, just lay there and I'll protect you. Then, you know, then she would have just hid there and been protected and he would have brought her back to Billy and presumably happy ever after. We don't know, but. See, that's, that's kind of what, like, I, I think, the whole idea is that of all these is that um, it's easy to have a, a happy idea of how things happen in the West, but realistically, that's what would happen is that the guy would give her a gun and saying, this is not something that you want to be in. And if we're dead, you better, we better kill ourselves than let them kill us. If that, it's very rough life that anything could kill you even yourself if you have to. Um, what I really enjoyed as a whole with this one, though, is that the entire first half of this short, we hear the entire story is about the girl and Billy and, and um, how they're going to be together. And we just kind of glancingly see Mr. Arthur and hear about Mr. Arthur. And when it gets down to it, um, the biggest part of the story is is what happens with Mr. Arthur. So that's why mm -hmm. it, it was, the entire story is a misdirect and I enjoyed it very much that it came down to 
this guy not wanting to be like Mr. Arthur. Mr. Arthur was the one that ended up saving the day, but at the same time, he couldn't save the day. And it was, it was very sad. I, I, I liked it because it was sad that the girl ended up dying the way she did after so much false hope. And then finally having actual hope that she was going to be happy and, and everything's going to work out. And then, at the same time, it's as equally as sad as this this uh, cowboy Billy that that doesn't want to end up like Mr. Arthur, and and we come to realize that the girl dies, and Billy's going to end up just like Mr. Arthur, what he didn't want to be. Yeah, it was an impressive fight scene for sure. A badass, because Mr. Yeah, Arthur was certainly a badass. I loved how he didn't interact much before the fight scene so like before the scene with the native americans he barely said three words and he didn't do anything actionable he just kind of shook his head and, and that's and what i really like really liked man. about the story yeah i liked it as well the the whole story like you said billy was kind of talking up mr arthur as a crack shot and an expert in his field and you never really saw that and then once the Native Americans roll by, you just see him like snap into action and just follow his instincts. Uh, I was kind of hoping for a Team America reference when he handed her the pistol and said, you might need to kill yourself. Take this. In Team America, the, they have the exact same scene, except he slides the main character <laughs> a hammer. <laughs> well, I don't have anything else to say about the gal who got rattled. Afterlife. Were these like ferrymen taking people to hell? Did the did the hotel represent yeah, hell like, in the story or something? That they were dead, but not. I don't yeah, think I it think was it making was a judgment on them one way or the other. But I think that's why they had those philosophical Purgatory. debates in the wagon, so that you could almost kind of like, as an audience member, decide, you know, what their fate was going to be. Yeah. So, quick synopsis of the short: It's five people in a carriage, a horse-drawn carriage. And they're just, they're going somewhere, they're going to a hotel, and they're just conversating, they're just talking. And when they get to the hotel, they essentially just slowly get out of the carriage, walk into the hotel, and then the short is over. And the whole short is filmed in very visual dark tones, uh, like dark clouds, dark clothes, dark interiors. The the rider of, or the, the driver of the carriage is a very dark person that you never see his face. And the whole thing just, it was kind of creepy, right? I, I very, I like this one because it took me a while to figure out whether they were dead or they were going to be killed or like just wrapping my head around the entire story as small stories in their own right were happening. Like where we find out more about each individual character, um, what they did in their past life uh, or not even past life, like what they, what they did. They had a trapper and a, um, a Frenchman, like a, a world traveler. And then a um, wife to a powerful businessman. And you just find out a little more about each individual one, all while this story is un unfolding, trying to figure out, are they dead or they're going to be killed because two of the other passengers are, we find out bounty hunters. I, the entire time I was watching it, I was thinking one or possibly all of them could be these guys bounties and they just happen to be how they, they got them. They met up in the stagecoach. Um, but then slowly you start to reveal that like 
the woman has a panic attack about something and and they're yelling for the stagecoach to halt and the entire time the guy's saying he's not going to stop he's not going to stop and that's kind of for me when i realize oh this is more of just like a passing <laughs> into whatever miss <laughs> and that's one of the reasons why i thought they were like ferrymen taking people to hell or purgatory was because the bounty hunters, they spoke like they'd been on this carriage ride yeah, before. Yeah, and I they think knew you the are right almost. in that that's what their job is, is that they are, Greek mythology is, is waning on me. So um, whomever carries the, the people across the, <laughs> the, the river, river sticks. to is that the Hades, river? ferries them across, and, and they're just being ferried across. There's not, like, they're not going to hell. They're not going to heaven. We don't know. They're just going to where they need to go to pay their penance to go wherever. Thinking a lot about that, the dead body. Cause at first when you're in the story, they're just referencing it, a person, a, a, you know, you assume it's a dead body on the roof. You haven't seen it. They're just talking about it in the carriage. But then when they actually like pull it off the roof at the hotel, then I'm like, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Like I spend this like whole time thinking they were going to a hotel. Then I was like, okay, wait, they're dead. They're all dead. And then I was like, oh, wait, now they just pulled a dead body off the roof. And it had me, like, go back. But then they had this big, like, dramatic scene when they opened the doors, and there was, like, this glowing light coming from a ballroom staircase. Um, And I guess, really, you don't know, like, the way the story ends. Like, they could be going to a really creepy hotel, and there's a dead body, and, like, they talk about the the two, between the two uh, bounty hunter-type men, says uh oh well he's gonna sleep in your room tonight and um they leave it like just a tiny bit open-ended but for me they were definitely all dead those guys were ferrying them into the afterlife and i guess what as what to make of that dead body is um just that some people are less cautious conscious when they go into the afterlife than the others (laughs) yeah i think the whole the whole story is like, you just don't know, even when you get down to the end, like we are thinking the same thing as the Frenchman at the end where he's like looking out and he's kind of figuring out that this guy isn't actually a true stagecoach. that they are taking their dead body and going upstairs and you think, Oh yeah, it's definitely a hotel. But then you look around and everything is dark and ominous and, and, has weird glows and fog and and it kind of looks like the afterlife we just we don't know and i think that's the whole point of the the dead body and the the bounty hunters we don't know if they're ferrymen we don't know if they're they actually are dead themselves or whatever did you guys notice that the buildings across the street from the hotel looked like like very cheap, yes, almost yes. like high And I actually thought that was partly like just a reference to the set. very beginning of the movie when they were in that like yeah. super fake saloon that... town when Buster Scruggs was like dying, like where you know where he got shot. Because those sets are like super basic. I mean, it's like not even a real building. Mm-hmm. It's just like a giant cardboard or wooden building facade. So I don't know what to make of this last one. I love. One of my favorite thing, one of my point of references that I loved is that the story, the um, one of the, the the bounty hunters or ferrymen was going to talk about the story of the midnight caller, and like I said, I one of the other 
Coen Brothers movies that I, I thoroughly enjoyed was True Grit. And The Midnight Caller is actually a, a story that, again, from that movie, um, we never actually got a the story itself. It just said, hey, you want to hear about the story of The Midnight Caller? And then we just never, it, it's another one of those callbacks to a different That's wonderful. Comic. I totally missed that reference, but I haven't seen True Grit in years. Yeah, I think I've watched it pretty recently, so one of my my favorites one of the three characters who may or may not be dead um brings up oh there are two kinds of people in the world or and then the trapper says oh no everyone's like ferrets and the frenchman has his own idea or something but the the one bounty hunter man is constantly he's not really contributing to the conversation at first he's just like oh tell me about that like oh what do you think about that and just just as like baiting them to kind of give their opinions and it's very um makes me think oh he really does like to that statement he said where i love when people are trying to figure it all out it's almost like he's baiting them to like have this realization moment of like what type of person they were and like what's coming for them but they like almost aren't even there yet because like they don't even I mean, we don't even know if they're dead, but they definitely don't know yeah. if they're dead. <laughs> yeah, at that moment, I, I figured that the yeah. the short was actually going to end in more of a climactic murder or battle or something. Like, once he started talking about negotiating as they passed and, and figuring out what's on the other side, I was like, oh, shit, they're about to die. But then just nothing ever really happened. Very anticlimactic ending. Oh, I loved it. I, I think it added just like a, a perfect ending to to the entire movie that like, we don't know if it's the end or it just didn't go along with the traditional norms of Hollywood spaghetti Westerns or just anything like that. I, I think it, it very much was a, a good way to end it that we don't, it just left you questioning <laughs> everything mortality the the whole the whole movie and and it didn't have to be some big old drawn out climactic shootout or whatever it just it it ended it, giving you more questions than answers and i think that's a good way to end the movie yeah, it was a great i really like that it yeah, I like also got that are, in like that are five more different types of like western characters um because all of the three people, and I think that was part of the point of the story, was um, all the three who weren't the bounty hunter people were very different. You know, you had the trapper who spent most of his life living basically outside, although in a cottage, um, was very clearly like a rough around the edges type. And then you had this like woman who definitely had a view, of, very high view of herself. And maybe it, bed the way she was dressed, maybe it seems like she also had some money. And then you had like the French traveler who um, just seemed to have a lot of more of like a philosophical and worldly cultural type of knowledge, but they were all like framed in that Western time period kind of way. So that was kind of cool to get those extra characters in there that weren't necessarily just, yep, here's your stereotypical cowboy and you're, you know, your sheriff and your saloon owner and all these 
guys that you think of when you think of western movies i would kill to see a sitcom about the trapper oh my gosh that was an awesome part of the story when he was talking about his life i was like yes can we get like a cut scene please (laughs) yeah yeah can we get a flashback (laughs) (laughs) i can totally see like a only this summer coming to fox i just (laughs) i don't know i i very much enjoyed the um what is his name chelsea ross who the one thing that I remember him most of is from uh, Major League. Yeah, who'd he play? Major League. And he plays one of um, the old, worn-out pitcher. The one that, like, puts snot on the ball. And, oh, the sleazy and, pitcher. Yeah. I, I enjoyed his just his whole rendition of that character. That's wonderful. One of my... Uh, what I enjoyed about um, this one, and again, it goes back to the, the Coen brothers trope is that they it was a reference there are multiple references to the movie itself um but in the ballad of buster scruggs um buster scruggs refused to play another man's hand um it was aces and eights um black black two black aces and two black eights which is the dead man's hand which is um the hand that uh wild bill hickok i believe was shot in the back and killed, and that's the whole story. Ace is full of eights. It's pretty common. Um, anyway, uh, he refused to play another man's hand, and as the Frenchman was talking about like how he was a gambler and, and how it, it would be the whole story that he was talking about, how it's impossible to play any other man's hand, that you have to play yeah, your you own. you can't make bets for other men. And That's so awesome. I didn't even catch that because yeah, I, I felt I like of all of the three passengers in the scrubs. wagon, um, the Frenchman was kind of like the most wordy and like kind of dragged on a little bit longer than the others. Well, I mean, it was clear the Trapper was talkative, but it's I guess this was more story-like. <laughs> And the Frenchman's was more stream of conscious like. And so I was able to follow the Trapper story a lot easier. You know, it was like more simple minded. I didn't have to process quite as much information as quickly. And then the Frenchman's talking and I'm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think it was it was the difference between. Yeah, like. One was about actually just living life and, and going about your life. And the Frenchman was talking from a more philosophical point of view and and a more worldly point of view. And then the, the woman herself was her entire existence was depicted upon somebody else's success. So it, it was very three very distinct and still prominent ways of life today that that we see. Um, so it was just a, a different view on life where, oh, I'm just going to get up, have my coffee, go to work, come home, watch TV, go to bed, and, and just have that normal routine with the trapper or more of a wonderment of the world or hoping for yeah, success. Yeah, so I think if the like, Frenchman's uh, soliloquy and, had been woman, slowed so. down a little bit, I would have been able to follow it faster. But yeah, it was just that he was – on such a higher level of thinking that I wasn't able to keep up quite as much as following the trapper story. (laughs) It was very like, I did this and then I did this and then I did this. Like, okay, I got that. You can say that as fast as you want. (laughs) But yeah, the other was just needed more thought put into it. So I totally missed his reference back to the hand of cards and, and how 
Buster Scruggs refused to play another man's hand at the beginning. A lot of cool references, a lot of cool scenes in this movie. I'm so glad I finally decided to watch it. I'm glad it's what we decided on for the podcast because it's been in my Netflix queue for two years and I've never really committed to sitting and watching what is essentially a very long movie. What's, what was it, two and a half hours? Yeah, that's the longest, yeah, the longest uh, Coen Brothers movie Jeez, ever. I believe it. Um, yeah, I never really like pulled the trigger on the investment of putting over two hours into watching it, but well, now we had an excuse because we decided to do the podcast about it, and I'm super excited that we did. Yeah, uh, Sarah and I have talked about this, is that like when we first sat down and watched it and saw that it was two hours long, and we're like, wow, two hours and 11 minutes or something like that. But I think just the fact that there were multiple mini stories and it, it wasn't, it was broken up. Oh yeah. They probably well. could have tacked another I one in there and uh, I would not have felt long. like I've definitely felt in some of these Over long hours, superhero so. movies where you're like, all right guys, wrap it up, <laughs> save the day. Let's go. I was not having that feeling at all in these stories. So that was great. I still just feel like there was no underlying theme or cohesion. There weren't any lessons in this at all. Like, it's not even that big of a complaint that I'm making, by the way. All I'm saying is, like, if they would have had one character that tied them all together, <laughs> or if if all the characters that had died had been on top of the wagon, like if that wagon was carrying Buster Scruggs and the dead See, now, body from the gold digging episode, I would have been I much happier. I think you're with taking like, like this that, movie and making it like, into okay, like those movies I love, which are together. like the Valentine's Day and New Year's Day, where you have like Jessica Beale over here having her story and Taylor Swift over here having her story. And then like at the end of the movie, all the characters are somehow related by like the mailman or something. <laughs> so Andy might have lost his cool at that point. Oh. oh my god. I love them so much. I've never seen any of those yeah. movies, but it sounds like exactly <laughs> what I want in this one. Me neither. Mailman. All right, next That's exactly podcast, what Valentine's I want Day. In this one. <laughs> if only it were February. <laughs> oh, geez. Uh, thank God February is so day. far away. I think that wraps up episode. Yeah, thanks. thanks. Like I said earlier, I would not thanks have thought on, to watch Dave. this movie we, without I, you. So I'm I definitely really glad it. that you I recommended it and that I watched it and we got to talk about it. Well, it's been fun. Thanks for coming on. And thanks to any listeners that tuned in to listen to the episode. I believe the next movie that's going to be discussed is called Mute. It's another Netflix exclusive. Uh, so if you want to watch it ahead of time, go ahead and watch it while we get the next episode recorded. Thank you, Sarah. Thank Thanks, you, Dave. Andy. Bye. Thank you, listeners. Everybody stay safe out there and have a nice day.